it's great when you see a movie you think oh this is cool and then you get into all the stuff we've been talking about and you come back to a movie like this and, and you think oh my god there's so much stuff that's there but i just didn't notice it and then you've got this vocabulary in your mind to sort of reinterpret the movie with and it just opens it up so much more so that happened for me and i just i thought oh man you know we got an instant instant talker so it's a whole it seems to be a whole class of movies that have these sort of a network of of gems in a certain vein of esoteric thinking that we seem to be grabbing onto the thing that i find interesting is that there are some patterns that tend to come up and repeat uh, to recur, you could say, yeah. in the movies that we talk about. I mean, in this one, for example, one of the one of the fairly blatant motifs is something we talked about in the Blade Runner discussion, where something comes in from nowhere and disrupts how things were. Right. So we we tend to sort of hit on these these notes, which I think is interesting because we're looking at it from different sort of different perspectives. Yeah, I mean, I've got a theory about sort of there's this Hollywood vocabulary that uh, people like there's a reason why all this stuff shows up. And I really do think it's largely because, (laughs) well, um, I think a big part of it is Joseph Campbell's influence. And I say that because he was he was a a guest speaker at this institute called the Esalen Institute out in California. I think it's a big sir. And knowing his connection, McKenna to, was big there as well. Yeah, I think maybe Alan Watts was there as well. I mean, he he seems like a guy that would show up there. But uh, yeah, so Campbell, Watts, McKenna, all these people were influential out there at around the same time, I suppose. I mean, McKenna later for sure. But that band of people ties you into people like Carl Jung and Mircea Eliade, and so. It just seems to make sense to me that if you're out there in California at the time working in Hollywood, working in the entertainment industry, that these ideas are going to be kicked around and floating around a lot because it's just in the the zeitgeist of the time. And so I think that's why, might be why a lot of the stuff crops up in so many movies and so much stuff that's still influential. And we're still seeing it all today. So that's kind of the stuff that has it with the stuff that has. I agree. I think the stuff that has sort of lasting lasting effects especially the stuff inside of it which makes it feel or resonate far into the future i mean donnie darko is a fairly old movie but it's it's it seems perfectly valid it doesn't seem it doesn't seem very dated at all even though it's set in 88 right i think i think i agree um but we're coming at it from a different perspective we didn't really know we were doing that at first but we seem to be, we seem to be grabbing hold of some threads or something, and realizing slowly that we're actually finding a, a set of ideas or memes that exist in a web that may that may we may, if we keep following it along we might yeah. see those guys just sort of sitting next to a tree or something at some point, uh, and and maybe they'll <laughs> yeah, in, like... invite us for a picnic or something. But I, we seem to be tugging at some sort of a sweater yeah. thread that I'm not quite sure where it leads. Yeah, we're gonna see like Schopenhauer sitting behind like the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> pay no attention to the man behind the the curtain. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know, but that you're giving Schopenhauer a lot of credit. I think he deserves a lot of credit, but I'm not sure if he's the guy behind the curtain. Um, oh, sure, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I think he's probably working the levers with a, with a few other uh, key key figures. <laughs> Maybe we'll get <laughs> well, into I, that. You know, I mean, it's it's funny to see how much of this content moves through the period of I think it's called German Romanticism, which is yeah. what I think like Schopenhauer and, and Jung and Freud and Nietzsche and all these guys sort of uh, partook in Goethe and. If you go back, which I mean, they oh, were yeah, heavily, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were influenced mm-hmm. by because they all reference Faust, and so there's mm-hmm. that. There's it goes all the way back. That could be the, yeah. that could be the epicenter. Maybe uh, it's also giving the, giving Goethe a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh, credit as well. Yeah, I think that was called a Ursprung. I think means like origin. Mm-hmm. It's like original place where it came from in German. Fun well, fact. maybe <laughs> maybe useless, useless, but uh, fun. Yes. Uh, maybe we could start as we do with a, with the broad context for those watching. We I think we have to throw people a bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to not make it, I think, easy, very super accessible um, sometimes. But I think doing the sort of big picture overview like we did for Blade Runner, in my mind, that's useful for, for people uh, <laughs> watching. So yeah. do you want to take a yeah. whack at it? Sure. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like saying you must be at least this dopey to ride this ride. So let's right. uh, let's help yeah. people out. Yeah. Um, the the yeah, six so... foot eight version of dopiness. <clears throat> That's where the line is. The what? The six foot eight version of if dopiness equates to height, it would be six foot eight would be the the minimum line. It's a, it Absolutely. was a poorly poorly executed uh, joke. I apologize. You should have waited for my cough to finish, and then it would have been funny. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So Donnie Darko, uh, takes place in 1988. It's an election year. I think that's very important. For Dukakis. Dukakis and, uh, George Bush senior. And so, um, yeah, it takes place in Middlesex and I think it, it's a real place there are, there are real places called Middlesex in England and also in the Northeast United States. So I don't know which I didn't catch if it might be a specific one, but, uh, our hero of the story is a teenage boy donnie and he lives in this town uh it's an election year it's coming up on halloween and he has a problem with sleepwalking so he's taking meds and he's uh his family life is i don't know i feel like it's fairly normal it's it doesn't seem incredibly shaken up broken or anything like that same things seem kind of in the middle i think that's important and uh, his sister is applying for college. He's got a younger sister. His mom and dad are in the home and he's having some trouble at school. Uh, but he's so very he's smart. These... He's very intelligent. He's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. His Iowa test scores are intimidating as his principal says. And so he's a real smart kid, but he's also got, he's sort of dissatisfied with the world around him. He just, he thinks it's all fake. Like it's, uh, it's, um, People are trying to simplify things and he has this big brain. And so he's thinking, oh, life is more complex and just divvying things up into two categories. So he doesn't fit in and he's struggling with that. It's a coming of age story as well. I think Bildungsroman is the the German word for that, which is, I mean, it's an important thing to bring up because again, we're talking about that lineage of stories and this type of thing. So anyway, he's seeing this. Uh, he's having these daytime visions of this rabbit, of this being dressed in a rabbit suit with a sort of uh, death mask 
on its face. And it's the you know popular image from the movie, from the trailer, from the posters and everything. And weird things start happening. He starts. Uh, you know that song is also by artist called Echo and the Bunny Men. The first song in the mu- in the the Killing movie. Moon. Ah, oh, yeah, I, Bunny I, Men. I looked that. Yeah, I looked that song up last night, and uh, <laughs> I didn't even it didn't even hit me. Bunny Men. That, yeah, it's it's yeah. The second you start digging into this movie you just get this all this great self-referential stuff and it it's a it's a treasure trove so anyway i think we're going to get into a lot of that surprisingly i mean when i saw it as a um i don't know maybe 10 years ago or so i thought oh this is cool but then watching it now with uh more of a vocabulary for this kind of thing it just you know it opens up and opens up so it's fantastically uh deep film anyway so yeah, uh, Donnie meets a girl. Um, like I said, it's a coming of age story, so they're kind of figuring each other out. A um, little bit of romance there, and he's got some enemies in school. Typical coming of age story. So I think that will set up the premise without giving away too many details. What do you What do you think? Anything? Yeah, I think that's pretty solid. I th- I think it's good that you pointed out that it's happening during an election uh, which i don't i don't think is just to give it a timeline but is uh, probably pretty intentional uh as for his family situation at the beginning of the movie it, you get sort of uh inklings that maybe this is going to be one of those teen angst i hate you mom sort of movies but but it ultimately doesn't really turn out to be that to this to that degree his parents turn out to be uh uh pretty solid people who generally speaking support their kid and kind of are able to encompass his his growth rather than rather than stifle it i mean it's it's not it's not that clear but that's a direction that that i think is also pretty pretty relevant so i'm sure we'll get into that stuff too um maybe we could just start with this the sleepwalking stuff and also then the early uh, early onset, possibly early onset schizophrenia. His counselor mm-hmm. uh, uh, or his shrink suggests that he he might have the the early stages or some some uh, uh, schizophrenic um, characteristics that are starting to develop in addition to his uh, sleepwalking. So uh, you know that i think leads to a conversation about about not only the coming of age initiation into adulthood but the other type of initiation which is classically as a schizophrenic the shamanic initiation right so mm-hmm. maybe we i don't know if you it's too early to get into that stuff but i think it's pretty relevant and it carries through the movie so may, maybe it is a good time yeah yeah let's i mean it kind of starts out with um yeah let's do it i think the shamanism theme is pretty important and it starts off with that kind of so um yeah do you want me to take a crack at it or do you want to go for it or how do you want to set it up well i i would say uh the initiation of a person into adulthood in a lot of ways parallels the initiation of a, a young shaman into the the trials that will lead to them becoming a shaman or not uh and except magnified magnified to to a pretty extreme degree which it is here as well but it's often 
in the uh, Eliade book, it's often characterized as isolation, uh, wanting to be on your own, isolation from the tribe, uh, symptoms like an illness, a severe illness, schizophrenia being a good candidate for that sort of thing, over, maybe over self-awareness, being hyper-aware of, of oneself, but then having not a guide like a mentor in a, uh, in a shop teaching you how to make things, but a sort of guide who's traveled the road before, who can, who can drop breadcrumbs that you can follow, although each journey is different, we see a character who may be this person for him, uh, Spar uh, Mrs. Sparrow. Uh, who's this this old lady has this book and so there is a road that has been traveled but it's not exactly his road but there is still some precedent so that I mean those two things overlap a lot I mean I want to get into it in more depth but I also want to hear what you think sort of a big picture yeah so I was gonna say um, the opening shot or the opening scene is Donnie waking up on a, a mountain from you know he's, he's, he's laying in the middle of the road he's he wakes up, looks around, gets on his bike, and then he goes back into town, and that's kind of when the day or the movie starts. So, <clears throat> um, so he's sleepwalking, and he's taking medication to help with the sleepwalking. Uh, when he gets home, there's a note on the fridge after he comes down from the mountain. Uh, it says, where's Donnie? So this is a thing. This is a, a recurring thing. And so uh, it's like, what do, what do we do with that? So... I, everything you said about what Eliotti said in, in the in the book 100% applies to the movie mm -hmm. and so um, the the thing that Eliotti says makes a shaman distinct from other functionaries in a tribe you know a priest a magician anybody else is their ability to access the ecstatic experience other people can't do it they can a shaman can enter into an ecstatic trance and so sleepwalking in the film is donnie's ability to access the ecstatic state and a shaman in an ecstatic state will or can meet people meet other beings it could be heavenly beings it could be infernal beings it could be uh one of the things that eliotti talks about is a tutelary spirit and the tutelary spirit I th it, there's another type but i think it's the tutelary spirit can take the form of different beings and sometimes animals i think and so <clears throat> in donnie darko donnie's tutelary spirit is this rabbit and the rabbit talks to donnie gives him information about the future about himself about time travel sort of these veiled uh dark omens and all that kind of stuff so it's a, uh, and, and all of these things would ha are in Mircea Eliade's book, Shamanism. All, there's examples of all these phenomenons that took place. And they're not all, they're not all exactly the same. There are a lot of variations too. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There's, there's tons. Um, it, it does seem like in the movie they picked a, they cherry picked some examples to, you know, make a good film. So that's Donnie's connection to shamanism. And there's, there's more, there's definitely more. Uh, I think if we're just trying to lay out the case that, okay, this movie has a big connection to shamanism, I think that'll help sort of give us some credit, give us some credibility what we're, when, what we're talking about. 
I think I think it's pretty pretty clear and pretty pretty blatant. But the other things that come out of that book by Eliade is that there's a, a the sanction of the village. In other words, there's a recognition that while there is fear of this shaman sometimes, there is also the need for the shaman potentially as a medicine man, potentially as someone who can uh, forecast the, the weather and the movements of animals and so on, mm-hmm. uh, or decide who not to heal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so in a way, I, you know, you would expect a, of a teen angst movie to be kid versus the world, but at every stage, there are these figures who act in a way that supports his furthering her, or his 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 movement into the the ecstatic or or toward this wherever he's going right becoming let's say becoming a, sh- a shaman his parents his father seems to understand what's going on and thinks what his son is doing is is cool not the sort of stereotypical <laughs> teen angst movie dad right he thinks yeah. it he thinks it's great but also his english teacher his science teacher and it seems like everything that happens validates the usefulness of what he's doing so that it's not the thing that differentiates it from a, a normal teen angst story is that every time he takes an action, it's validated by the consequences. He burned down a house. Oh, it's a pedophile's house. There's his, his, his porn yeah. cave. So every time he does it, it creates a positive movement for most people. And there are these figures who seem to be sort of being pulled along by his wake and act as a little push to to help him go further. And that's kind of where the the tribe goes in in this process in which the the new shaman could very well die during the process. But and so there's there's this relationship of discomfort slash uh, we need this person, and and it's that sort of walking the edge between order and chaos, which the the shaman represents, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's a couple of things um, I think it'd be cool to bring up based off what you just said. So when Donnie does a thing in based on his sort of a shamanic ex, his trance experience, you know, he learns something new and then he takes action based on what uh, Frank the rabbit has told him. Uh, there's positive things that happen. And there's also negative things that happen. And I think that's what leads Donnie to make his ultimate decision in the end is because he can, uh, and I, I, you know, we can come back to that. I think we will. Um, the, ah, crap. What was the last thing you said? Um, what was the The, last thing you said? The tribe, uh, uh, in a way providing room for the development of the shaman and uh yeah yeah order and chaos yeah order and chaos so um i think it might be worth setting exploring maybe setting the tone even more for why donnie being a shaman is important so we talked about the election year yeah i was going to bring that up next so that's good we should bring that in i think okay (laughs) cool good so the the election year in the movie uh it's 1988 like we said uh, Dukakis and Bush and what we're coming to which is 
indicative of the entire is indicative of the state of the entire movie is we're coming to sort of this fork in the road it's a very unstable period in the united states uh because it's an election year it's an unstable period in the children's lives because they're going through puberty um and there's just a lot of instability in each of the characters we meet there there's there's some kind of there's a big shift coming there's a big change coming uh a an apocalypse essentially a revealing of a new state the death of the old the um initiation of the new we're in a state of chaos in order to bring about a rebirth of a new state so like in an election year you have the old passing away and the new coming in so everybody's grappling with this level of insecurity and uh, so that's signified by the election year, by the, all the kids, you know, going through puberty and that kind of stuff. I mean, there's other, there's other things, um, they're eluding me right now, but can you think of the other stuff? Well, there, there are events that happen throughout, like the tension between the teachers, the principal and mm -hmm. Mrs. Farmer and these two younger teachers who, represent uh, a better understanding of young people and a willingness to get on their level and educate them in a different way. So you have the sort of the the old guard represented by whatever the principal's name is and and Mrs. Farmer. Uh, and then and then they're battling against the new. Uh, the the new doesn't necessarily win in the movie, but they represent these, I think these two sides of, of a status quo and something that's coming which is going to overturn the status quo but there's also a sense that i think we'll get into that too of the status quo holding on so tightly that it, it, it's it's cracking beneath the surface you can see that in mrs farmer's face this sort of thing shows the cracks beneath the surface of the old needing to be replaced by the new which Yep. Which is that same motif that we talked about with Blade Runner. It's this, then then a jet engine falls from the sky mm -hmm. and makes which things, like, yeah, it's the, which it's is like the meteor. Yeah. Which is like the thundercrack in Ulysses, the James Joyce, which is also another yeah. big coming of age story that a lot of movies reference. Um, but you have the big, uh, so like their home is generally peaceful and sound and it's fairly secure donnie's you know donnie and his family and then you get this giant event that happens a thundercrack a big boom that just destroys everything everything is then broken and shaken apart so all of this sort of tension of oh my god we're at this point this fork in the road like what's going to happen this is the event that sort of determines or um explodes the new horizon and uh sort of people having to suddenly adapt what punctuated equilibrium kind of they have to adapt to a new state and it kind of sets i think sets uh you know it it sets donnie further down the road of shamanhood because he later in the movie says that frank saved his life and how did frank save his life well frank saved donnie's life by waking him up in the middle of the night to come out to the golf course uh and being on the golf course instead of in his room when the jet engine falls through so then donnie feels like he owes frank his life and he's got to obey frank and so that sets his whole trajectory off on the shamanistic path and i think we'll get into the the fate part of that as well and um, i think we mm -hmm. both both probably want to talk about nietzsche a little bit but uh yeah just on that on that 
line of thinking. So th- if someone hasn't seen the movie, essentially when his rabbit guide uh, tells him to come out to the golf course and saves his life from the airplane engine falling from the sky and landing in his room, a reality is created, but it's kind of a, it's a reality that's going to eventually loop back and collapse on itself. It's, it's not a, uh, it's not a st- stable reality. And so, but it's almost as though it were a, uh, a moss or a lichen sort of moving forward and putting its tendrils outward. There is a, 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 a cultural shift taking place and it's sort of reaching forward and where it finds success, it moves in that direction. So this is like one of those that maybe pulls back, but it still learns something that then is integrated into the body as it continues to sort of spread spread outward, right? Like um, like a mycelium. But also I wanted to bring up something on the, the airplane engine that falls out of the sky. It seems like, why, why make that the event? Uh, I, I, Joyce's thunderclap, but also I think uh, the uh, the symbolism of of the meteorite is is pretty relevant too as mm, yeah. a thing on the ground, but also as a thing that falls from the sky. So when you see when people would see an asteroid in the sky, it was it's a thing in the heavens that wasn't there before. So it's always static. Sometimes they're shooting stars, but now there's a thing in the sky that wasn't there before. So obviously it portends all kinds of things. It it implies it implies an eschatology because it's new and so it must mean something. And I'm, you know, just thinking in terms of the archaic mindset, right? So if if that's the case, the meteor falling from the sky sort of represents a kind of a kind of new state, a potential new state, a bifurcation where you could go either left or right. And I remembered reading mm-hmm. something on this. I think it was von Franz, who who was a uh, uh, one of Jung's proteges. I believe it was her. She wrote something about how a meteorite itself represents a neutral state, and a neutral state is a place of stasis. Mm-hmm. But it repre- the meteorite itself represents the option to go either left or right. So, okay, a new thing has come down. Now, what are you going to do with the new thing? Previously, all the variables were, were, were static. So there's no new thing. So the status quo remains. Now a new thing appears that is not part of this world. Will you go left or will you go right? Will you return to the status quo and reinforce it and do another cycle of the status quo or will you break it and will you will you do something else and then i think in the same thing or maybe it was something else i also remember that the meteor and the the bowl that it creates or the impact crater that it creates could be representative of the grail and in fact that the the holy the grail was supposed to be a a gem that fell from Satan's crown when he fell from heaven and it landed on the earth. So in some stories that I've heard, the stone from Satan's crown, which became the grail, was not a grail, but was actually a meteor, 
which also then represents huh. sort of a new state. So I thought that was very interesting that this that this but the stone then became the grail because of the shape of the impact crater. That might be a stretch. I remember reading that. <laughs> it might be a stretch. I remember reading it a long time ago, but I do think that's an interesting point to raise just because, you know, it, it does represent that choice and a new thing that can be used as fodder for potential change, right? Yeah, no, that's interesting. I totally forgot and, and missed the... Uh the jet engine being like a meteorite because in patterns and comparative religion, Eliade talks a lot about meteorites and the significance that they had for, uh, more are like archaic ancient peoples. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was like, a, it was a uh, kratophony or a hierophony, which means a, um, a, a, a phenomenon of power, kratophony or kratophony in uh, hierophony, meaning a phenomenon of the holy, so yeah, it's those events were considered, uh, yeah, important, holy, spiritual, special, and and the places where those uh, objects fell were then venerated. They were then holy themselves. So yeah, for sure, that's that's a really cool Mecca catch. being one, Mecca being yeah. being one of those. Yeah, what's the name of the the is the Kaaba? Is that what it is? Kaaba. Yeah, I think I think that's that sounds right. That sounds right. Okay. Yeah. That's a, a stone that fell from the sky. And it is the center of the circumambulating yeah. place of, yeah. Uh, I, I, another couple of details I wanted to, to bring up, if you don't mind, were some, uh, there's some, again, to set that tone, because it's so cool. It's to set the tone for this change, this sort of uh, epic change that's occurring in the movie. And they're just interesting details, the way that the director, the Richard Kelly, decided to do it. So when Donnie comes down from the mountain back home... That sounds great. Walk, Donnie comes down from the mountain. Uh, sounds epic by itself. Yeah. Donnie came down from the mountain and he was looking for a soul to steal. Maybe there's a <laughs> Charlie Daniels connection in there. Yeah. But right. when he comes home, he gets off his bike and he's walking in the house and his mom is sitting outside reading Stephen King's It. And did Have you read It? I've never read the book, no. It's so good. So the what happens in it is it's a picture of uh, just the, broadly the plot is a picture of this idyllic America Americana image Norman Rockwell esque sort of setting, mm -hmm. and uh, all the kids in the town know that something's wrong, but the adults are totally oblivious to it, mm. and all of the insidious sort of nefarious infernal activity is happening underneath the town. So in the book, you've got this picture of ideal Americana built upon this uh, roiling subconscious where all of this kind of evil stuff is going on. So you've got this very unstable state. All of this sort of uh, white picket fence imagery is built upon this bubbling cauldron of energy that has to get out so the it's very unstable of the of the culture in a way exactly yeah and so that's it and uh later when at nighttime uh when we cut from donnie's room to the dad's to the parents room after donnie calls his mom a bitch we see the dad reading tommy knockers and Ta stephen king's tommy knockers so tommy knockers part of that book i haven't read it i just looked up a synopsis but the, i found this in the in the explanation part of what that is about is you get this um this 
something comes out of the sky. I think it's a UFO and lands in uh, lands in this town. Somebody discovers it, and it sort of unlocks a Pandora's box where people get really smart and they start making all these crazy inventions. Based, it's sort of like the alien mind is is attaching to the the townspeople, and it's mm-hmm. giving them these powers to dream up these inventions and this kind of stuff. But they, but in the um, in the blurb, it says they're given these incredible powers to dream up inventions, but they are not or don't consider the philosophical or ethical um, implications of what they've invented. So again, all this stuff pointing back to this instability in specifically, I think, uh, middle-class North America or middle-class USA. And it, I, and the other thing was on Donnie's ceiling, uh, there's a shot, I think, when Donnie, when he's getting up after he calls his mom a bitch to follow Frank out to the golf course right before the, the jet engine cla- uh, crashes into his room, there's a shot where you see the ce- his ceiling. <clears throat> and from Donnie's perspective, when he's laying down, you see the American flag and it's upside down. And that is symbolic of uh, the United States being in a state of distress. So mm-hmm. if, like, if you're out at sea or something like that, uh, when you fly your flag, if you put it upside down, that means you need help. You're in distress. And also the poster that's right next to it is from is a Led Zeppelin. I think it's a Led Zeppelin poster, and it's uh, it's called it's a picture of it's a painting of Icarus, which is a story of somebody who flew cl- too close to the sun, and they fell into the ocean and died. Should use also, Gorilla Glue. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, and it's also called uh, Swan Song. So, anyway, we know what a Swan Song is, and all this stuff is just beautifully indicated subtly and it's setting up this fantastic state of oh my god instability what's happening next we're gonna have this fork in the road thunderclap yada 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 so an end of the world language so i i do hope we can Mm -hmm. also eventually get into the the language of of eschatology as well because that i don't think that sounds cool in the movie but i i think it's also really relevant to talk about but I wanted to mention also sort of uh, to piggyback on what you were saying, not only is there this roiling froth of uh, something chaotic under the surface causing the cracks to show in the face of Mrs. Farmer, for example, just her sort of frantic energy is, is a manifestation <laughs> of that. You can see she's about she could snap at any moment. You can tell her whole life is about you know her 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 daughter's dance performance that's it's everything and this this um Cunningham guy but it seems like at at several points there's uh there are references to things being to to points of weakness that can break and then do break so hmm. one water main needs one sort of axe chop and it breaks and school is canceled. So school is the factory where you make normal people. And if one kid comes in with an axe and just makes one chop to a water main, nobody's going to school today. Or one, you know, well, not one, not one dump of gasoline, but a little gasoline. That was a lot. Okay, so one gallon of gas, one large gallon of gasoline 
can destroy a man's life and reputation because it was at it was at the breaking point. One airplane engine needs to land on a town <laughs> for for this whole reality to sort of start to unfold. It's sort of like at, at every point it's not just this this roiling foam, but you can see that the points of stress and weakness that are about to pop through and then they do and over time there's a kind of it's a kind of release and so when it returns to the beginning it's almost like those releases have been brought back into the previous status quo in a way via deja vu or that experience that they have at the end in some way it now is is part of it as though some maybe some of the stress has been relieved or something is something is different now somehow um, so I, th- I thought those those references, and also when they're in English class and they're they're talking about that um, that the story, and which is yeah. exa- exactly what he did, um, th- those those references throughout I think are um, uh, nice because they they establish that feeling of things are gonna things are gonna blow up very soon throughout, which is sort of uh, anticipatory. Yeah. It's um, mm-hmm. do, do you want to get into I wanted to ask about the feminine and I wonder what you made of that I mean do you want to is there anything else you want to talk about before we do that because I, I did have a question about about that um, uh, there were a couple of shamanism things but I, I think we'll probably touch on that stuff later as we get to the end of the movie as we start talking about that specifically okay. the Volpergus Nacht or um, the house party and how he's dressed but you know mm-hmm. we'll, oh god i forgot so in the in the song the killing moon uh the one of the main lines is fate up against your will so donnie is you know fate is up against his will and he knows it so anyway yeah yep gems gems in this movie gems uh i what a, what did you make of the uh female characters a couple interesting things yeah. happened uh there there's his his mother who uh is this sort of antithesis of mrs farmer and they both have daughters in uh sparkle uh, sparkle is sparkle power right sparkle motion sparkle motion sparkle motion motion. (laughs) the dance the dance group but they see they look at it from a very different point of view than mrs farmer the sort of status quo figure the principal sort of in the same line uh cunningham jim cunningham similar but then the 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 teach his english teacher who is introducing these things that uh that the status quo wouldn't doesn't really like and they push back against and then the girlfriend um uh, uh gretchen right yeah uh what did you make of the different female presences in the movie did what what do you think they stand for yeah the, the female characters play a very prominent role i mean like and hmm, how how to categorize and, and sort of break or roll that out so i don't know maybe Rebe- maybe roberta sparrow is supposed to be kind of a foil to mrs farmer because i mean they're i don't know they're both older women but one is is way more in the vein of donnie's mom and the english teacher and then I don't know. Did Miss Farmer really have a uh, companion, kooky kind of person in the film? You mean a, a so male the, version of her? 
Uh, well, it's okay. So it, it seems like, all right. So Donnie and Gretchen, they kind of, I could see them as sort of a, a pair that mirrors Donnie's mom and Donnie's dad mm-hmm. because Donnie and his dad are sort of compared to each other as being similar. They both sleepwalk. They both read books at night. Um, they both have these, some connection to a premonition of death because, uh, the dad at one point in the film remembers somebody from high school that had said he's, he felt doomed and he has a car accident and dies. And he says, I could say the same thing about Donnie. So there's that similarity. Um, I don't know. Gretchen just seems like somebody with their head on straight, kind of like Donnie's mom. Mm. The And then you could compare Donnie's parents to the English teacher and Dr. Monotov because they're, you know, they're together. They're a couple and they're both level-headed, even-keeled, measured people. And yeah. And then you've got, yeah, I, I don't know. That's as far as I... Yeah, that... I, I think loss of words. Yeah, I think that that works. I mean, Miss, Mrs. Farmer's, I think, pretty clearly, to me, the antithesis of... The foil? Yeah, the foil for... Well, yeah, you, you said Miss, you said Mrs. Sparrow. I, su- I suppose I could see that. I saw Mrs. Sparrow, Roberta Sparrow, the old woman, as the prior... Sh- uh, the shamanka of the story meaning that because that's that's how it goes right you there was a shaman and they teach you some things but everybody's path is unique and she doesn't Mm. really give him any guidance she wrote a book he's getting some insights and some breadcrumbs from that but she's not sitting him down saying all right now let me teach you about how this time travel stuff works because she's off on her own journey and she's only there as a sort of uh a dirt trail to travel rather than a paved a paved road. Uh, so if she represents a foil to Mrs. Farmer, I, I mean, um, maybe. I wonder if there's uh, some some anima stuff going on with Gretchen. I mean, we'll probably get into why Gretchen is named Gretchen uh, with the Faust stuff. So maybe you want to say something about that. But his teacher, his English teacher seems to be an important to me anima sort of character because he stay why does he stay in the classroom after school with the teacher before she leaves when they have the cellar door conversation mm-hmm. it's not a it's not an it's not quite an eros thing it's not a it's not a sexual sort of thing where he's in love with his teacher uh, which is what you would typically get in this sort of high school angst movie, I think. It's, it's, but it's not that. It's sort of like um, she represents um, a compliment to something that he wants to develop that's in himself that he needs to continue to explore, to sort of realize in the same way that when he goes up to, I can't remember the girl's name, and he she's obsessed with him and he holds her face and says it will be better. She, she, the English teacher is maybe that in a way to him to represent that there's, you know, more something else out there. And, but, but, but does so as a female compliment or feminine compliment. So more like an anima, an anima character that, that, I I don't know. It's not very fleshed out and it might be a stretch, but uh, I, I think that that's the kind of relationship they have. 
Yeah, I think I think that's totally legit. That I mean, I could imagine like when I'm watching the, these movies. I don't know if you do this, but I'm thinking, God, when they were sitting down, when they were sitting down writing this movie, and the director was blocking out all the shots, and you know they're all working this stuff out together. They're thinking about these things, the relationships between characters. And I was talking to uh, somebody about this kind of phenomenon in movies where all this stuff is connected, and and they they just hadn't thought about it and they thought no they just sit down and write the movie and it's like no they don't they think no, they about don't. this stuff a lot and every single word matters and it's there for a reason so um yeah it's easy to I forget think... that that's a good point to bring up it's obvious it should be mm-hmm. obvious but when you go to work and you do your job you spend 40 hours a week making sure that the stuff that you do at your job is correct is accurate so if you're creating something you don't just throw it together because you're because you're a screenwriter and say (laughs) i made it there you go make it do it now i'm gonna film it (laughs) let's go yeah i mean you probably spend eight months to to a year just working out all the ideas and diagramming and it's it's yeah you're, you're right it's obvious but it's worth saying i think yeah it's like you could go back to uh, the ex machina discussion and look at the wall where um i forgot the character's name the the brilliant inventor nathan what's his name uh yeah nathan he's the uh oscar isaac's character he's yeah. got that wall full of you already, you already you're already we just that was our last conversation oh man it's been a crazy <laughs> couple of months but um yeah okay pass you get yeah. a pass Thank you. Thank you. So Nathan's got this wall full of post-it notes and it's, and so directors work the same way and I can prove it. If you watch any of, any of uh, the documentaries of Nicholas Winding Refn's uh, stuff, the guy that only God forgives in Bronson and Drive, he does that. He plots all of this. He plots a movie out on a wall with a bunch of post-it notes so he can watch the movie in his head. And so he knows the relationships between things. So yeah, all this stuff is important. And Everything you brought up about uh, like the the anima, the foils between the characters and the female the female characters and everything it's totally legit. And as far as you know, I wonder if yeah, okay, okay, okay. So there's a cool thread to pick up on there. So Mrs. Farmer, if she she could be sort of like a competing shaman, okay, <laughs> to Roberta Sparrow because and I say that because I think Jim Cunningham is sort of a competing shaman to uh donnie's character yeah and so if i could touch on that for a second um i agree this the scene where donnie goes into okay well okay so how do why would we even suspect that he's a competing shaman so in the scene where donnie is in the auditorium and jim cunningham is up on stage talking they're kind of having a battle they're kind of having this shamanic battle of wits in front of everybody else and so we know that they're in competition with one another and there's a fairy tale or mythological motif that um a sorcerer sometimes the only way to defeat a sorcerer is to find their secret treasure that they've hidden away otherwise you can't destroy them so which fits perfectly for jim cunningham so when don yeah so when donnie goes into jim's house to burn it down uh he walks into the living room and there's this giant painting this giant just sort of crass painting of i don't want to insult the person who actually painted that painting but it's supposed to signify uh cunningham's hubris and so there's giant painting on the wall between 
two stag heads, which are like threshold guardians. Right. And so Donnie burns it all down, which reveals Cunningham's secret treasure. The thing that he's, the horcrux that he's hidden away, like uh, Voldemort does, that unless you can destroy the horcrux, you can't ever, you can't destroy the sorcerer. So um, yeah, Cunningham's like a competing shaman. That makes sense. Yeah, but he's a com- he's a competing shaman that that sort of stands for um, order or the dying guard or mm. you know he he needs the world to be as it has been. He needs a bunch of Mrs. Farmers who can throw their adulation at him in order for to for him to have his power. He gets his power from people like like her who worship him, and if mm-hmm. someone undermines it. It's like a giraffe who comes into a new territory and then they have a giraffe battle. It's it's kind of like <laughs> that, but they're fighting over the the, the 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 zeitgeist in a way, you know. So he he's he's yeah. no, he knows that his 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 Aristotelian way of seeing things of bl- black and white is as a ba- it is is dying, and the cracks are showing put things into labels it's either fear or it's happiness and 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 then someone comes along and points out that the emperor doesn't have clothes on and actually nothing is that simple and you'd have to be an idiot to think that that's the way that the world works then you're the snake oil salesman who's been upstaged by a better snake oil salesman in a way or a shaman who's who's been out 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 shamaned by <laughs> you know better Bush shaman v. Bush v. Dukakis. Bush v. Dukakis. Yeah, there you go. Um, I'm not sure if the analogy works if you actually think about Bush and Dukakis, but <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking of like the the sort of typical view of Republican versus Democrat, like order versus chaos kind of arrangement. Yeah. Yeah. Because and, and it was, I think, in the guise of military stuff. So you've got sort of the order of the strict regiment of military. I mean, maybe it's a stretch, but maybe I'm just way off um i don't know i see both of them as representing order maybe that's just my my bias totally totally i think i think maybe it's just a a boring (laughs) a boring point to bring up but well maybe that was but okay i guess that's not the the thing to do is to bring your own bias to it if is that the intention of the film to highlight dukakis as a sort of Analogy was, was to a, Donnie and Bush as an analogy to Cunningham, maybe. And and maybe was it a re-election year? Because if it was um, a re-election year, then then it works even better because you've got the established sort of versus the up the upstart. So I don't would remember, be. but maybe that's I don't remember a either. Illusion. Uh, one thing I know because I just did I did a tiny little bit of research is that. Um, Dukakis was accused of having mental problems and they used oh, his <laughs> uh, his neurotic behavior. Bush used his neurotic behavior to paint him as someone who's mentally unstable. And that is attributed as one of the reasons why he didn't win the election because people saw him as sort of, who oh, is this guy? We don't know what he's going to do next. And that's a pretty good parallel, I think. So it works. Wow. It works. Yeah, well, it kind of it kind of works. I don't know. Just of the you know overlapping similarities. I'm not. I'm yeah, not to push the point too much, but it, yeah, it seems like there's some 
fun connections there. Well, it 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 can't be completely uh, coincidental because mm. it is brought up too often for it to be completely coincidental. Why would you have that on the fridge? Why would you be talking about it so much? Why would it be the thing on the news all the time? Anytime something comes up, apparently coincidentally, but repeatedly, is it tends in a movie to not be an accident because they could have just put something else there. So why constantly bring up <laughs> right. this battle between Dukakis and uh, liberality maybe to, at that time in the 80s, maybe did represent something that we don't understand because I was born in 1988, so I don't, I don't really, under, I don't have a, a real grasp, a good grasp of the, the political climate at the time. Yeah, I wouldn't have. Did you see the that. advertisement that I sent you in messages? The Dukakis the, ad. The, I did. Yeah, I'm just riding around in a tank. <laughs> <laughs> this man is nuts. He doesn't support. <laughs> but he doesn't support war. I support war. I'm George Bush. Yeah. 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 Um, um, interesting messaging back then that 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 was buying more weapons and missiles was was the strong selling point. Man, I yeah. kind of like, ooh. <laughs> well, um, can of worms. Can of worms, indeed. Maybe, I wanted to bring up one other thing about the f- women characters, and it does jump ahead a little bit, but yeah. I'm sure we can jump back to it because I, I want to uh, maybe get into the Gretchen thing. But um, yeah. I know you read Faust in prep for this, so I kind of want to hear oh, what so you have good. to say about Oh, yeah, so good. Uh, I kind of want to hear what you have to say about that, but um, I wonder if there's something about the absence of two characters, two people who you described as the level-headed ones, when the shit goes down, right? So his mother (laughs) leaves town and his English teacher is fired. So it's as, as soon as those two sort of protecting something, protecting angels, they're mm-hmm. somehow holding things in, not in a sort of uh, not in the same way that that the uh, the status quo figures are, but sort of keeping things at peace or preventing them from actually breaking. As soon as both of them leave, then everything collapses. And it's you know, it's it's an interesting collapse. It's supposed to happen, mm. but it it only happens once those two female characters leave the scene. And I I wonder if that was intentional. Hmm. I don't know because the dad he's he's off on business. Mm-hmm. Granted, he's not one of the you know important female characters. He kind of plays a background role in my mind. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I guess Mrs. Farmer is also gone. Uh, so. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't catch that. Well, what did you think? I just. It just reminded me of uh, before a before a tsunami. The the sea, the uh, shoreline gets sucked backwards, and oh, then yeah. there's a tsunami. the The water pulls backward. Then you know you have to run because there's about to be a very large wave. That's sort which of is. The... Oh, go ahead. Sp- space is created for uh catastrophe yeah. oh yeah that's well when you state it that way yeah that's a, yeah yeah have you ever noticed the eschaton like, the esca- yeah uh 
when you, if you watch a movie and it seems there's some kind of mystery to it, but then when you state it and when you state what you're seeing in a specific way, it totally clicks and it makes sense. Like what you just said, uh, the tsunami illustration. Yeah, I get it. But then when you say space was created for chaos, then it clicked in. And I don't know if, um, for people listening, if you, if you watch a movie sometimes and you just verbally state what you're seeing on screen, that can help to click into place what the intent of the writer and the, and the director were trying to get across. It's like, if you're just watching it, it, you see the visuals, you see the symbols, but then you actually have to state it to understand it. Kind of like those, those games we got, or at least I got in elementary school where you'd have a string of images that are next to each other. And if you just look at them, they don't really make sense. But then if you say what it is, you see like an eyeball, a heart, mm-hmm. and then something else. Yeah, but then you say, okay, I, do you know what I'm talking about? Luke? Yeah. There's, it's, it's, yeah. So those an eye and then a picture of a knee of someone's knee. And then there's maybe just the letter D and then, uh, a female goat is that a you right okay so that would be i need you something like that something like that i that was just i had that that's the the best i could do off the top of my head but uh that's great (laughs) yeah i need you then you would read that you ah yeah you get it but it takes a little bit of it takes a little while i believe that you have to to really know what you know what you think you know and we're reading or i'm reading uh wittgenstein's philosophical investigations right now Hmm. he would say that exactly. You have no idea what you know until you make words. Yes. <laughs> to well, say what like you a... know, and only then you still don't know it. But at least you've published something in the world that other people can interact with, and that might change its flavor and then feed yeah. back into the system. But you still don't know what you think you know. Yeah, and it's that seems to connect with stuff that Jung would say about sort of the islands in our minds. Like there's all these islands in our minds, but until we can. Ad- attach that landmass back to sort of the original landmass we're unconscious of it so yeah. it's like you know it sounds like there's a connection with Wittgenstein would say that until you state it you don't know that you know it but then when you're con- then when you're conscious of it you incorporate it and you kind of move forward with more tools in the toolkit but I mean that kind of went off on a rabbit trail but I just it seems like uh, for people that like the stuff we're talking about if they want to go do it on their own more and more which is i think one of the points of our discussions is like try that when you see the visuals or when you see the events going on restate it your own way and it it can open up so much of uh the of movies i think it's like uh crafting something so you have to make even if it's very crude we're cert- we're not experts really in anything that we're talking about we just enjoy reading and watching movies (laughs) yeah uh so we are crude craftsmen but we're trying to make things and sort of let them fly away into the air and and someone else may see that as a germ and and get something from that or we might now understand something a little bit better from from each other it's almost like um it's bizarre that we have the the bizarre thing is that we have the feeling that we know things when we don't really. The bizarre thing is that there isn't mm-hmm. a stable condition of saying, "I know what it feels like to want a Coke Zero." What do you mean you you know what it feels like? This is going back to Wittgenstein. What do you mean you know what it feels like when you say, "I want a Coke Zero"? Saying that you want the Coke Zero is wanting the Coke Zero. 
It's a snapshot of a state or condition which is constantly changing. And when you get the Coke Zero and you drink it, you're not your original thing that made you say that the the condition which has billions of sort of interacting variables isn't the thing that gets satisfied when you take the sip. It's the future state that has changed that has now integrated the statement that you formulated in your head to say, I want a Coke Zero, that is that you say is satisfied but still isn't. Mm. It's crazy. So we never, we're never, things seem stable, but they're not stable. Yeah. 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 Uh, again, rabbit trails off of your question about, um, I couldn't, I, I, I liked all of the, the female characters in the movie. Gretchen, the the teacher, his mom, uh, Mrs. or Roberto Sparrow. They're you know, super cool characters. But uh, yeah, I'd have, did you want to get into? The, I, and I thought the Faust? dudes were dopey. Yeah, Dude, dopey dudes. Although the dad, I like the dad. He's cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. The dad cool and, and Molotov, the science teacher, he was great as well. Yeah. So Mol- Molotov is cool. Uh, <laughs> Faust. Faust, you say? Faust, Faust, I say. So, Dr. Faustus. Yeah. So, Faust has been a story that I've seen come up so much in the stuff I've been reading. And I've I've had a basic sort of understanding of what it is, just a general premise. But then I read it and it's like, oh, man, everything makes sense. Everything. The reason why people reference this book so much totally makes sense. So, uh, so. Are you, we re- were you reading Machina. the, sorry, were you reading the, uh, the more poetic, uh, version or the more prose? Cause I know that there are two different ways that it gets translated sometimes into more into prose and sometimes trying to be true to the, the original poetic style. Mm. I'm not sure. Um, I got the Oxford classic edition, so I can't, I even in the, in the, in the intro, the guy explained what method he was using. Um, yeah, I can't remember, but it didn't. Well, that's very disappointing. It... <laughs> um, yeah. Why did you? Why did you ask? What? A, no, I'm just. I was what... just curious. It's just a point of curiosity. I don't mean anything by it. I would just wanted to know. Oh, and I didn't know if maybe you read it and thought the. Um, well, I remember him saying that in the original German, you know, you've got these word plays going on that just won't translate into english so i feel like the guy was trying to walk a middle line so maintain sort of the lyricism and the poetry where he could but then you know when he just couldn't he just tried to maintain the spirit of the the language so yeah the one i have is is the one that's supposed to be entirely lyrical and supposed to be uh very loyal to that i don't know if it's necessarily better or worse i, I have no idea it's uh, th- there are times when i feel it, it, i could do without it okay yeah uh but faust in general is about this uh professor who is sort of he's in the middle of his he's, i think he's 35 and he's sort of um disillusioned with life he's uh big brained, you know, he's really smart. He studied all his life. He knows all this stuff, all these facts about the world, but he longs for the sensual side, sort of the Dionysian side of existence. He's strong in the Apollonian side, but he, he, in the, in the smarts and the wit 
and the knowledge, but he doesn't have sort of the the bodily experience, the Dionysian uh, side of it. So he he longs for that. He wants to know it. He's tired of knowing facts and all this kind of stuff. He wants to know this bodily experience. So he makes a deal with the devil or with Mephistopheles to provide uh, all of these sensual experiences for him in exchange for his soul. If uh, if the devil can provide an experience for Dr. Faustus that Dr. Faustus, uh, Dr. Faustus will say, I don't want this to end. So if meaning that uh, the devil's got to give him something really good or else the bargain's off. So, yeah, so they go through these different experiences together. The main, uh, the pinnacle experience is Dr. Faustus interaction with uh, Margareta Gretchen, uh, which is short for Margareta. And I think she's like 14. So there's, mm. you know, different time periods, but he, uh, Dr. Faustus falls in love with this 14 year old girl and he and Mephistopheles seduce her. It's implied that he sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. And then uh, through a series of events, she is she uh, gives birth to the child, drowns it, and then is arrested and then executed. That's There's so much more that goes on. It's, it's so much more rich than that. But that's sort of, I think, that the high points that are important for Donnie Darko. So Donnie is Dr. Faustus in the sense that he's really smart, but he's longing for the sensual experience of life. And we, we know that, well, we know he's smart just by the stuff that comes out of his mouth. He's always spout, spitting out facts, like the thing about uh, Joseph Lister in 1985 when he's recommending to Gretchen what to write for her paper. And then also, um, we know that he's longing for the, the bodily experience because he's telling his therapist, Dr. Thurman, which means Thor's protector, just for fun, um, that he's always thinking about girls. He's always thinking about sex and fucking so he's missing this sort of physical side of life and he's also uh he's also going through puberty so it's natural yeah um and so then gretchen ross comes along and which is you know that's gretchen and uh it's implied that essentially he doesn't really seduce her i don't think that's their relationship but the pairing matches up with faustus and then because of their interaction in, in the story, in the story of Doctor F- or Faust, Gretchen is innocent. She embodies innocence. She's pure, but because she comes into contact with Faust, she ends up dying. She gets killed for it. Just like in Donnie Darko, uh, Gretchen is innocent. She is just like an innocent bystander who comes in co- into contact with Donnie Darko, and because of their relationship, she ends up dying through no fault of her own. Just like Faust. So. And the bunny yeah. is obviously Mephistopheles. Hmm. The bunny is is Mephistopheles. Okay. Yeah. I guess I can see that. Sort of the the uh, anti Virgil. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh. When I was watching the movie, it it didn't jump to mind. So, I mean, Faust didn't jump to mind. I know. I know the story. Um. But for whatever reason, even though I knew that you you were reading it and I was looking for it. And, uh, you know, there's Gretchen, but it didn't click as well for me as the shamanism stuff does. It's the shamanism, it's very heavy and it's very clear. It's a shamanic story and it's about fate and it's about, mm-hmm. so I think it's, it's, as you said, it's very, it's very Nietzsche and it's very, 
Um, uh, or you could say Joseph Campbell, if maybe if you prefer uh, Follow Your Bliss, if that's a better version of Amor Fati. But um, I I don't know. Fa- it just didn't it didn't click for whatever reason for me. Uh, the Gretchen character, it's too, sh- maybe it's just, they fly by it too fast. She gets hit by the car. She's dead, but then it resets and then he's dead. So it just doesn't quite, it wasn't satisfying as a Faust analogy for me, but I don't yeah. doubt that that is an intentional reference because why would they call her Gretchen? Yeah. Well, and I, th- I think it's so I think that sets up if it is intended to have a connection to Faust, if it is a usage of the Faust narrative, um, then it ties into Nietzsche's idea of Amor Fati. And I think what, like a new spin on it, which I think that's what Richard Kelly is trying to bring to the table so that if, if, if Faust could essentially go back and change what he did, would he change it? And that brings us into the whole Nietzsche eternal recurrence uh, Amor Fati discussion. But for for yeah, those well, for those not familiar with the concept of eternal recurrence and Nietzsche's love of fate, uh, do you mm-hmm. want to just explain that a little bit? Uh, how he thought of it, and then maybe we can tie it back to the movie. Yeah, yeah, because and it might illuminate why it has some bearing on the Faust myth as well. So there's an anecdote where uh, Nietzsche has the idea of love of fate, Amor Fati, after he, he's walking along the, the edge of this lake. I think it's Lake Silva Plana. I forget where it is, but he's walking along this lake and he comes to this stone, this is big rock on, along the path. And he has this epiphany of this idea of, um, he, 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 embodies it in a narrative of okay if one day a demon showed up to you and said to you you have to live your life over and over and over again eternally the way it has been up until this point disregarding neither the good nor the bad you have to repeat all of it ad infinitum forever would you curse the demon and say you know get out of here or would you praise that being as an angel, like a harbinger, oh my God, I can't wait to live this over and over again. And that, you know, brings in all these philosophical implications about, hey, what are you doing with your life? That kind of thing. How can you say anything is good or bad? There's tons that goes with it. But essentially the human being is given a choice to evaluate what they've been doing with their time. And so Nietzsche's idea was that if you want to be a real overhuman and ubermensch, that you'll be able to affirm uh, you would praise that being as an angel because you would affirm everything that you've been doing or that has happened to you or that you have done as uh, as a positive, as you would say yes to it and not no. And a yaysayer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a yaysayer. Yeah. And so that that sets up the love of fate. And so in the movie, um, the demon that shows up to Donnie is the rabbit, which is also Mephistopheles, which is also a tutelary spirit in shamanism. And uh, yeah, and so then later in the movie, 
Donnie gets that opportunity to essentially go back in time and act upon that instead of in like Nietzsche's world where you don't have a choice or whether or not you're going to do stuff over and over again uh, Donnie's given a choice and I think that's where the the break with eternal recurrence is that's sort of uh, Richard Kelly's um, contribution you know his break out of the mold to put a different spin on it I I agree with you but I see it slightly differently Um, so Nietzsche's take on it is really just a it's a thought experiment it's it's I mean he he probably did see the universe as deterministic at the time um, so that probably played played into it but in Zarathustra it's more of a way of expressing uh, a rejoicing of the present in his own sort of his own spin on 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 that being a yay sayer and and not evaluating and labeling each thing that arises and goes away there are similarities to nietzsche and buddhism but there are also a lot of a lot of differences um i think there's a more of a, a hindu aspect to the Donnie Darko version when he talks about the bubble that comes out of his chest being God's channel right it's not I don't think about the scientific determinism which you could say well everything is the universe is deterministic Uh, you know on a scientific level particles bounce where they bounce and that's this, there, there isn't really, there isn't really any any free will. Yeah, you could say that, but I, I don't think that's not really interesting. It's more the, the the Hinduism type of when you're when you're born into a certain caste, mm-hmm. that's what you are, and you're not supposed to grind against it and push against it. That's what you are. That when you're born but also there are stages in life there are four stages in life you there's a stage where you're where you're learning a stage where you're producing a stage where you start to separate yourself and finally become you become sort of uh, uh, an ascetic and you 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 completely isolate from society that also is this thing that you know that you're going to do from birth we don't really see it that way uh, because our roles are not as clearly defined, but there's a sense of sort of cultural, religious amor fati of, I should be here. And if I'm dharma, initially right. not hap- happy, yeah, this is my dharma. If I'm initially not happy with where I am, it's probably because of of the things that I've accumulated my car it's probably because of my my karma from my past lives so I should be here because I need to go somewhere else in the future maybe I can change in the next in the next life or maybe not so I it seems more more a nod also a nod to Hinduism uh, for this version but also that in Hinduism the the beginning or the end represents the beginning as well so when you reach the end of one of the years of the 
of the Brahman, then it starts over and it starts over again and it starts over again and it repeats endlessly, right? The different the different ages. Um, so I th I th that seems more like a nod to to Hinduism. So it's sort of like a hybrid of, of Nietzsche and Hinduism at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, when I was looking at, you know, in the end, Donnie's laying in his bed. He goes back to the fork in the road when the jet engine is going to crash through his ceiling. And the way I interpreted that was that uh, he, you know, the whole movie he's been searching for knowledge and he's been trying to, you know, be obedient to Frank so that he can get this knowledge that he wants. And that path ends up killing Gretchen and in the end, he regrets killing Gretchen. He's he's sorrowful. He's he's sad, and I feel like he comes to the conclusion that even though I've done this good stuff along the way of seeking this knowledge, like uh, I flooded the school, um, I revealed the uh, I burned down that perverse house, that also had negative consequences, and the ultimate negative consequence for him was the death of Gretchen. And so he sees a more joyful, satisfying solution to go back into time and accept his death of the, the jet engine crashing into his bedroom and killing him, which will also not set off all these other negative things happening along with the positive things that would happen. But ultimately, I think the fact that his drive ended up killing Gretchen is what led him to be happy to go back into time and accept death instead because he it seems like that's when that's his way of saying yes instead of no i'm right. not gonna fight anymore which might i think that might be the point at which it contacts what what you're saying as well yeah well yeah and, and i think yeah zarathustra also does that standing on top of a mountain right separate from everybody else so he goes through his not shamanic uh, journey, but he he becomes who he is, and then realizes he cannot he cannot even communicate with the rabble mm -hmm. anymore. He has to separate himself and go go to the top of the mountain. So I think there yeah there's that there's that too, and his yay saying ties back to what he says in the film when he's speaking to the therapist about what the old woman told him or whispered to him, which is that everyone dies alone. He does die alone, laughing. Uh, hysterically, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So and he, that he's yeah, content. and yeah. he breathes that uh, sigh of relief when he he we see him. He's laughing, and then he lays down. He turns over, and he goes, <sighs> and then it then the jet engine crashes through his room. So he seems at peace and content. Yeah, yeah. Although, um, I when it crashes through his room, it doesn't really hit him. His bed kind of goes in the middle it's hard to tell it wasn't very Shooting satisfying i wanted it to be like a clean slice or something yeah uh, i want to see a big explosion of guts and yes that would have been that would have been good but uh, if that's symbolic uh, for just the coming of age then that's an ego death uh to mm. or maybe uh maybe there's that that aspect of 
angst when you realize that you're the weird kid in school because you're smarter than everyone else and you're from a small town and nobody thinks like you do and you thought that you were supposed to try to be like them and fit in mm -hmm. and adjust yourself to this this status quo but then but then you realize through this 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 difficulty that there's a wider world and you are about to actually blossom you haven't even started yet this represents one ego death is a brand new beginning is the start of something completely new so it could the whole movie could just be that yeah an ego death yeah yeah ego death i mean they they actually do say the ego like ego mirror thing and one of the one of jim cunningham's acolytes says something about looking in the mirror and seeing my ego fear something um, mm -hmm. you're looking back and seeing seeing uh fear yeah yeah uh it it is it is i mean it, i think it's partially an ego death but um speaking of the cunningham thing um just his way of that way of looking at the world which he sort of um bristles against the sort of categories and labels uh, did you have anything uh, on that because that's a pretty common idea throughout the movie as well it's it's um are things in boxes or are th are, is this a kind of gray area and this the scene in front of the chalkboard when he confronts uh, mrs Cun mrs farmer then later confronts uh jim cunning cunningham cunningham right jim cunningham yeah, yeah cunningham and farmer yeah cunningham and farmer cunningham and farmer he he confronts both of them about the same thing they're representing a binary view of the world or they're presenting a yeah. binary view of the world it's either this or it's this it's fear or it's happiness he's pushing against this yeah. and i i mean i think that's something that those represent two two important parts of the film for me i wonder if you wanted to bring up anything on that um yeah i mean i definitely was there i mean definitely noticed it uh it I, uh, it seems like again we could bring up ideas of you know when you have order when you can easily put stuff into boxes it's easy to navigate you can do things more quickly but then when you have this chaos of uh of gray well then you move more slowly you have to deliberate and decipher things and i think that is not conducive to the accumulation of wealth number one but mm -hmm. um because you have to take time you can't act as quickly because you're, you're thinking you're you know using clock cycles to parse out well i can't just say this is good or evil i have to have a more granular view which means juggling more plates you know rather than just holding two things in my hands now i got to juggle plates all the time that you know takes more concentration and effort so yeah that's what if if Monotov and his uh, his girlfriend, I guess it's, I don't know if they're married or not, but the English teacher I forgot her name. They represent slowing down, taking time, deliberating, trying to communicate. Whereas uh, Mrs. Farmer and Cunningham were just, "Hey, this is good. This is bad. Let's move on. Let's do this." Her name is Miss Pomeroy, I think. Pomeroy. Pomeroy. I think. I think okay. that's her name. Yeah. I wrote it down unless I wrote down the wrong the wrong name. <laughs> but <laughs> I I have the probably negative characteristic of biasing what I talk about in terms of what I've been reading. I've been talking about the 
philosophical investigations stuff. But I've been could be I, worse. <laughs> it could be worse. I've I, it, this brought up something the labels thing. There's a a way of looking at the world, which is Aristotelian, and mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. put it in a box, put it in a label. It is good. It's bad. It's uh, it's evil. It's schizophrenia. Your disease. That's what you have. It's happiness. It's fear. Let's put it in a box. That's a way, as you said, of, of representing the world. I I had been. I finished it listening to a series of lectures by James Hillman on the psychology of alchemy. And uh, it really, it's really insightful the way that he talks about it because it sort of provides, it's not like alchemy is psychology. It's that the language of alchemy provides a linguistic framework for psychology to rest on that better captures the phenomenon itself. So if you look at things from the Freudian sense, okay, you have pretty clear labels for things. That's the shadow or that's the Freudian Jungian, let's say, early Jungian, let's say, okay, so that's the shadow, that's the id, and this is, these are these little things, these categories, but those are not what those things are. Freud and Jung were trying to build a a linguistic framework for explaining something, a phenomenon that they saw as common, and you couldn't blame them for that. One of the, but the reason that Jung got so fascinated by alchemy later was not that it's not just curiosity. He realized that alchemy was actually a better linguistic framework on which to sit the phenomenon of the human unconscious. Mm. That that instead of it being a, a trauma, a trauma or something like that, then you you could use the alchemical yellowing as a phase, which is tinted this way or that way, and is part of a process moving in the direction of the the rubedo moving in that direction away from the the uh the uh, albedo right so moving moving in a certain direction and with tints of things and these processes of thinking of things as on a on a burner in certain places and there being different burners for different things so it's it's kind of ridiculous on the face of it but then it does actually capture it better because it represents gradients. It's all about gradients and movements toward and away from things rather than being these boxes. So bringing it back to the movie, that's what I sort of, I made that, in my mind, I made that connection sort of like everyone's talking about, especially Cunningham and Mrs. Farmer, um, they're talking about things, they're, tr- they're trying to label everything. And he's realizing that that doesn't explain the world because he's he's learned all the labels and he's not satisfied by it. So when something comes along, a language of uh, I don't a language of I, mean, I I don't know I don't know what the language would be called, but hit this new language of time travel and uh, the the book that he's been given this map, which is you know kind of obscure. It gives him a better framework. For, for fitting in what's going on so that it makes sense. 
and it sort of can encompass the phenomenon instead of feeling like there's something lacking. The labels, the boxes are breaking at the seams because they can't mm. capture the phenomenon. So that that's something that and maybe I'm just imprinting what I've been listening to onto that. That's very possible. But I I do find it very interesting that actually the, 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 there isn't only one framework and the thing is not the label. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, at, you know, at the base, I mean, everything you just said is fun stuff and hopefully it'll uh, start some people down a path of looking at alchemy for sure. Um, yeah. I, I didn't, this is one of the movies where I didn't catch a lot of overt references to alchemy. I would imagine that you know, I don't think the, it was overt. I wasn't trying to say it was overt. I don't think it was. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I still kind of wouldn't doubt that the people who wrote it, and along with the director, they totally had those discussions. You know, it just, it just with all this same kind of content, it, it comes up. But um, yeah, Wittgenstein. Yeah, I wish I wish I'd read Philosophical Investigations by now, or finished Zarathustra. But. Uh, yeah, putting stuff into boxes, the gray gradients for sure. It's also very Nietzsche, you know. Beyond good and evil is means means that means <sighs> labels are ridiculous. Yeah, uh, oh, I've still got to I got to start that Nietzsche. Explodes the labels. Um. Yeah, did you have something else you wanted to move on to? Because there are a couple of things I wanted to. Oh, please. we should talk about. Uh, well, what about talking about going back to shamanism a little bit? Because we were talking about the end of the film and which the part we're talking about now sort of encompasses the, I think, Valpurgisnacht or the Halloween party. And there's a lot of symbolism mm. built into that setting. So it seems like so many, wanna... so many movies happen on Halloween. It seems like a very common, common <laughs> setting. Because it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's awesome. It's my birthday and it's not that awesome. Oh, that's too bad. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you mind if I jump in back into that a little bit? Please. Or? Yeah. Okay. So in, so Valpurgis knocked Halloween, Sam Hain, all that kind of stuff. We get back to that. We get to this sort of culmination of the film. It all Sam Hain. On, yeah. Yeah. I think it's Sam Hain. It's, I think that's what the like Celtic or Northern European. What does it mean? European? I can't. I can't remember. I just, I, I'm pretty sure that's one of the names for that season where okay. the, the, the lines between the living and the dead, like that, that state is, they're not as distinct anymore. Like the dead come back, ancestor worship, mm. all this kind of stuff. Right. So that's the part we're looking at, at the, near the end of the film when they have the house party at Donnie and his sister Elizabeth's house. And, so that's like Valpurgis knocked when Faust is going up on the mountaintop and he's seeing all these different characters, uh, political figures, I think like a priest and all these different characters. So I think to tie the movie back into Faust a little bit more, what do we have in the house? We've got all these crazy like political figures, social figures. One guy even says something like Roosevelt. And so it's like, why is he saying Roosevelt? I don't know, but I think maybe it's a nod to setting the tone for, okay, this is like the Valpurgis knocked. Uh, so Donnie, when he gets dressed up for Halloween, he dresses up in a skeleton costume, which has tons of significance, potential significance. I think one of the things is, show, is to show that he's almost dead. 
he's almost like a walking dead man. Yep. Also in shamanic initiations, one of the phenomena that happens is that the initiate will die and have all of his organs, his muscles, and all of his tissues stripped away down to his, his bones. And then everything will be rebuilt from his bones so that he comes back and comes back from the dead, a new person with a new vision, a new vocabulary, uh, new powers, new gifts to bring back to everybody. I hate when that happens. <laughs> yeah, right. Ugh. Yeah. So, uh, God, was that it? So for, so, okay, wait, can you connect that back to, sorry, I might've missed the Faust connection there with the Halloween. So is it the, the skeleton, he's wearing a shirt under his hoodie and he's always putting his hoodie up for some reason, the hood up on his hoodie for some reason. That's, I think when he changes character that, so yeah, that's kind of, so he puts the hood up when he goes into his ecstatic state because when he's in the movie theater with right. uh with gretchen he puts the hood up after he sees the portal to the to cunningham's house and it's almost like that's a cave motif like an initiation cave motif when they go into the theater to view this art on a wall and mm -hmm. then he goes in one person he comes back out another so that was one thing but with the uh Volpergus knocked that's at the end of Faust when they go up the mountain he goes up the mountain with uh, Mephistopheles and there's all the the witches doing their thing and then like in another part there's all these different political social figures sitting around doing stuff talking about stuff as well it's very silly very chaotic and just irreverent which is just like Halloween night people dress up like the one guy's dressed up as Hulk Hogan one guy mentions Roosevelt there's a Viking and it's all these people playing a part and the world is turned on its head essentially i think hulk hogan is in uh faust part two uh, there are a lot of zany characters right. in that one i think he's in the he's he's in faust part two if i remember correctly um, yeah i think he's drinking wine with helen or something yeah helen of troy does uh is there any relevance to the fact that he gets laid for the first time presumably the first time hmm. is that is that relevant on that night the day well, before, the night of his death, essentially. Well, hers and his. The Their sexual relation is sort of what seals their fate, or her, specifically Gretchen's fate. I don't, I don't know if that completely overlays 100% with Donnie Darko. I think it's just a, a like an, uh, an important similarity, like an important story beat in both stories. Right. Is is there anything else on shamanism you wanted to touch on? Because I wanted to bring up. I, mean, oh, yeah. I have one other thing, but yeah, go <clears throat> ahead. Yeah. So there were there were two. So in shamanism, in some cultures, uh, the there's the the bird plays a very important role, and specifically the thunderbird in some cultures. And to a sparrow. A, a, huh. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> didn't even notice sparrow but um yeah there's a uh a, an iron winged bird okay so did we have a thunderbird or an iron winged bird in this movie yeah so the plane that's an iron winged bird um mm -hmm. and then also the frank drives a thunderbird <laughs> so it's like he's just giving it to us you know pretty <laughs> pretty obviously 
Yeah. Yeah, that was it. Uh, no, I mean, no, kinda... no great tree, no drum, though, unfortunately. Not really. Yeah, we didn't have a world tree, really, in this one, other than maybe uh, the jet engine being the meteorite yeah, and everything. Maybe. Kinda, mm, yeah. It's kind of loose. I mean, the meteorite thing itself is a stretch, so that's like a stretch on a stretch. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's interesting. It's yeah, I mean it's interesting. Uh, that uh, for me, that's that's kind of the important thing is because if if I watch this in five years and we talk about it, we'll get different things. I mean, yeah, unless unless it's it's so obviously unrelated that it's 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 can be said is wrong, which I think is possible. I think there are dumb dumb comments and dumb questions. Uh, then I think uh, it's I, I mean it's it's interesting to sort of watch it and just let it kind of sink in because as I was I was watching it uh, uh, both times just with my iPad and I was just writing things down that came up that came that came to mind as I was watching um, and and the first time I wasn't really doing that the second time I was doing it a little bit more seriously because I just wanted to remember some of the some of the beats you know yeah uh, what about well, there is this. There's a lot of mythology around around eschatology or the end times, and this sort of end times being a kind of object in a sense. Terence McKenna calls it the eschaton, which I think is uh, an interesting noun version of it. I don't know if that's actually a word. That sort of the end of the world being what the end of the world being. An end of adolescence, beginning of adulthood, the end of the world being a replacement of from one passing one generation onto another. Uh, that's mm. that's obviously happening. Um, old world, older world to newer world, but that probably happens with every generation. So that's there. Then, but then there's uh, a, a way to think about the our eschatology and why is it that we that we project significance and endings onto everything that we insist that there has to be an end or we have the inclination for things to end or or when something new happens we think it means that the end is coming um all of those things i think are kind of overlapping that it's not like there's one clear thing but eschatology being the the reason and myth and and ideas surrounding the end of things and this being sort of a story about all kinds of endings mm -hmm. as brought about by chaos and maybe natural chaos or maybe maybe as maybe maybe uh, chaos in another form but for the the literal type chaos of um, this guy who's been initiated running around smashing things and <laughs> causing chaos uh, right. that ends up revealing as we've talked about the dark underside of the society of the culture of uh, the older generation right yeah an apocalypse which means like a revealing um, yeah so we, there are a couple of we can see that if we take Donnie's actions as a as an and he is ending a world he first does it well first the first he's done it three times apparently he burned down a house when he was younger 
Uh, that's why he can't drive till he's 21. That's why he's seeing a therapist. So there's that. And then he ends up flooding the school, which is um, reflecting the book that he's read. So life is imitating art, but that's an end of the world, just like the day that's the deluge motif right mm -hmm. so there's the destruction of the world and then he destroys another world by fire which is in the book of revelation that's how mm -hmm. you know god is going to destroy the world at the end before there's you know the new heaven like heaven and so yeah those definitely as end of the world motifs stuck out and then for for donnie it's the end of the world it's the end of his experiencing the phenomenon of the world at the end of the film when he accepts sort of his fate to be crushed underneath the jet engine. So Yeah, it's 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 the eschaton for him. <laughs> it, very very literally. It's more um, like an eschaton of jet engine that hit him. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um but I'll show myself out. <laughs> <laughs> which door are you going to go through the one that leads yeah. to the closet <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just gonna I'll, I'll take i'll pick i got choices yeah well i i i thought it was an interesting thing to center the movie around uh because it's like in dark how everything in that show dark centers around this event that is forwards and backwards in time spoiler alert about that's not really a spoiler right because it is that they set that up from the beginning i think um yeah similar in that sense everything wraps around this point and it's almost as though uh having this point or this countdown is a way to uh you it, it provides a kind of timeline or structure or lattice on which you can then build up ideas and if you don't have that if you don't have that timeline or that idea that this means that this is going to happen in this amount of time, then you can't build up this structure around it, which is the, the, the mythology, which is the eschatology, which is trying to understand what it all means and put together the pieces and the battle between the order and the chaos. And then when the chaos beats the order, the fact that it repeats the cycle and that then the new chaos becomes the new order and it requires a new yeah. like a forest fire right you have to have a certain you have to have forest fires so that they can if they're stopped then it causes terrible forest fires and regular forest fires regulate the the, the ecosystem in the same way that generations replace generations to regulate the culture so you have a bunch of baby boomers who used to be the ones upsetting everything then being replaced by maybe millennials or the next generation and then but that's going to just keep happening forever and it's just yeah. a way of rejuvenating but in a sense that is the end of the world for that that set of memes right <laughs> yeah we're all just memes yeah it is sure. i mean but yeah. but you have I, to have I, an idea about disagree. what the end means or what the end looks like for generations yeah. it's not so clear but it but if you have a kind of the the more narrow the i guess what i want to say is the more narrow the point is the the more easily you can build out your story and unify your group so that the myth includes or excludes you if that makes sense yeah, well, and the, the idea of inclusion and exclusion being that Aristotelian logic, which gives you 
I think, a rapid way to build uh, structure versus the non-Aristotelian, which, so Aristotelian is the, the logic that says A cannot equal not A. So mm-hmm. an apple cannot equal a pear. But then if you look at Eastern philosophy, it's like, yeah, they're both the same thing. Like myself and a rock were the same thing. Yeah. So you get that, the more of the gray, um, but that's not- Zhuangzi, um, I am a butterfly. <laughs> say what? Zhuangzi, I am a butterfly, butterfly dream guy. <laughs> or I am a cat bus. So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah so building, I mean, building a structure that is very efficient uh, is better built upon Aristotelian logic because you get inclu- very clear inclusion exclusion. Whereas if you want, but if but that gets brittle and it breaks down <clears throat> once it reaches a certain point. I think like once once that system demands more energy than is available to maintain it, then it breaks down. Then you go back into chaos, which is where you get the gray, which is where you get revolution, which is where you get creative thought, art, all that kind of stuff that provokes people to think in different ways. So, and they, they both create each other. Right. So, yeah. But, and, but now things, now it's too complicated to happen as uh, overtly as, Andy Warhol painting a soup can. Now it has to happen in in crypto land, and it's uh, you know it, <laughs> <Say> it's what <laughs> it's it's uh, NFTs versus uh, you know I don't know. It, there's something. It, it's almost like we have to we NFTs had to move versus the world. <laughs> we had to move to a different landscape in order to fight the war because there's too uh, too much information. Uh, for it to be contained in the world, the physical world, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah well, like the like a val- gold as a store of value, then that's supplanted by fiat currency, which is then supplanted by, I don't know what oil, and then it's supplanted by crypto. It's yeah, it's it's like, it's like there's a circle, and at the beginning the circle is like this, but then as it expands. You know, there's points along the circle, but as that circle expands, there's gaps between the points, and then something has it, uh, an opportunity to fill the gap. And as it gets bigger and bigger, you just get these gaps that have to be filled by a new thing. So I, when I'm trying to visualize how this is the phenomenon is happening, that's what comes to mind. And I don't know mm-hmm. if you've got a different way to view it, or, or what do you think? Well, it is very it it, it all it all tracks in a very evolutionary way, the way that species evolve, the way that cultures evolve, the way that languages evolve, the way that money systems evolve, um, the way that culture between generations evolves, uh, even within one generation, it all follows a very similar pattern. And so Hmm. in that sense, I can see a kind of shape of you can kind of see where it's going because it's the same story happening on different in different domains. And it just happens to be that in this part of a story that we happen to be in, it was like we crossed a threshold where the information density required to create the next iteration to fill the gap wasn't, couldn't sit on the substrate of uh, TV, mm-hmm. banks, uh a job, a career that you have for a life, the the the, yeah, the yeah. thing that 
you know, pe- people who are now maybe the in their the 50s and that stuff can't that that world can't contain what had to happen because now it's too connected. So it had to sort of move online. And so now it's it's all going to be there. But then in the future, maybe that will be supplanted. Who knows? Which is basically we could we, to tie that back into Donnie Darko, the phenomenon that we just talked about, which is occurring now, is you know take that situation and put it on 1988, and you can get an idea of maybe the emotions that everybody in Donnie Darko was feeling. It's like this is a new world, all this stuff is happening. There's yeah the the old structure we want the, that's comfortable for the people that have sort of made a, a, a benefit off of it. But then the new people coming up, they need something new because the world has changed. And so they have to rewrite their myths. And so that's where that's where Donnie finds dissatisfaction. He's dissatisfied with the myth that he's been given from the generation before him. And he's trying to uh, inst- and, and so is Miss uh, Pomeroy. She feels the same way. She's she's saying we can't I can't. It's hard to reach these kids now. We're losing them. Yeah. You need something more subtle and creative to empower them to build something based off the reality that they are inheriting from the generation before. But for that previous generation, that was perfectly acceptable. That was perfectly exactly. that was a perfectly suitable way of doing things. It just it's no the model the model has broken down, but because the previous generation holds the reins and controls the levers then they think that that's how it is just is because they are not looking at the whole tapestry and aren't seeing maybe but then when the next generation is in that same position it probably won't be different it's it's sort of like (laughs) the eternal recurrence of uh gen z or something like that you you know yeah um i wonder just connected to that if there's something communicated about uh, generationally about control or uh, I don't know if control is the right word, but maybe maybe I just say the two things. So if Cunningham, the pedophile, and Mrs. Farmer, the turbo mom lady, uh, if they sort of represent... I think that they they stand on a similar sort of stage. When he's accused, she assumes that it's a false accusation and that he's he's been smeared because he represents to her the king of their generation. He's the pinnacle. He's the height. And to to think that he might be that he, his his throne could crumble and be replaced that 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 disrupts her world. But I wonder if there's also then a connection between the way that they behave toward children that he he is like leeching i don't know how to say it, he's like leeching off of their youth he's like a vampire he's like a vampire but then also she's doing the same thing with with uh, sparkle motion where she needs them to uh fit her way of yeah. seeing the world and say okay if you dance perfectly this is my dream for you and if you fulfill that yeah and you know, put them, put Cunningham and Farmer up against uh, Molotov and uh, Mazeltov, right? Yeah. Um, put a, put those two up against Monotov and Monotov and, and Pomeroy. Look at how those two interact with the kids. They interact with them as equals and yeah. peers. They're not. I mean, they're not so much look to, looking to 
control them they're more sort of like sharpening them like iron sharp iron sharpens iron they're trying yeah. to instigate an incept creative thinking and agency whereas uh farmer and cunningham are strictly control and projecting their maybe unspent desires and unspent youths onto them without without encouraging them to think for themselves so much right as you, well you call it vampiric i think i think mm -hmm. vampiric is a good word to use they're it's like the um there's an anime somewhere where someone puts kids in a vessel or something and it actually zaps the, the energy out of them well i guess uh sleeping beauty would be an example of that right so that's sort of i i need to pull the youth out of you in order to have it for myself uh, in a way the story of carmilla yeah the female carmilla. vampire who eats a, a feast on like young women so i mean that's like another another motif of that i mean the matrix in some way it's not uh, specifically kids, but off of humans, but leeching energy and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, th those are my main qu questions and main things. Uh, is there anything mm -hmm. that we didn't get to talk about? I mean, I have um, a couple other small notes, but is there anything else that we didn't, didn't cover um, that you wanted to bring up? Oh, uh, Roberta Sparrow is a, a shamaness. She has a bunch of gems. She's got a gem collection, which shamans have this connection in some places with putting gems in their bodies as, yeah. uh, to give them a, a diamond body or a more resilient body. So that yep. small, small cleanup, you know, house cleaning detail. But I think that and the Sparrow thing yeah. are both just subtle nods to uh, her being a, 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 a ostensibly old lady version of Donnie. She's been, she's done the same thing. She did the same thing already. She's been through it and uh, maybe she didn't die. Um, but he's, he's doing that too. He's following her path within his, his time. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's also I, something I, as, go ahead. Well, I was trying to, figure out maybe or more clearly define the relationship between Donnie and Frank like is the only thing that came to mind was being like a tutelary spirit and also Mephistopheles in the mm -hmm. sense making a bargain with a darker spirit so it's that's not of this world Roberta Sparrow uh Mrs. Pomeroy and the mom there and Dr. Thurman they're all sort of teachers of this world. So I don't think, I think them being the ancestors that are trying to bring them up well is where that fits. They're like the other people in the tribe, the other shamans, whereas yes, uh, the bunny, Frank, he's, he's other. He's something different. He's a tutelary spirit. So yeah, did it work the same for you, or what did you think? I think so. I mean, I don't see his mother or Dr. Thurman as uh, shamenkas. I see them as just members of the tribe who, it's almost sure. like by their proximity to the shaman, they are pulled into his fate orbit, and mm. uh, by just by virtue of their being in proximity and sort of 
feeling that energy, for lack of a better way, uh, they kind of help clear the orbit of debris so that he can he can yeah. carry out his fate more easily in a way, in the same way that the village will facilitate the shamanic rituals by uh, the, the shaman is laying on the bed and he's totally out of it and they're kind of you know, mopping his brow and that that's sort of <laughs> what they're where they maybe they're ladling some soup into his mouth every now and then that sort of thing. Yeah, there was a a, a cool detail um, earlier in the film when Donnie's mom goes into his room to sort of confront him. She's like, where do you go at night? And he, they have this argument and she says, um, who is this person? Who is this person? Or what, where is my son? Who I don't even understand. I don't even know who the person is I'm looking at today. So like in the shamanic experience, the initiate goes away one person and comes back totally unrecognizable right. after they're fully initiated. Like they sometimes they get a new name. They have to relearn how to speak the language of the tribe. They have to relearn how to eat, how to walk, and all this you know all this stuff. So again, in the film, it seems like another nod to the shaman's experience. Yep. Yep. I think what we're realizing is that the movie is kind of about shamanism uh, or <laughs> something. Yeah. <laughs> it's slowly dawning on us. Uh, there is we one of We should do a podcast about it. <laughs> we should. Let's do it. This is our warm up. I wanted to... <laughs> I wanted to uh, talk about just quickly... Mm -hmm. Why why do the uh, cellar door thing that is uh, the the premise of the cellar door is that it's uh it's aesthetic and I could be way way off but the so the aesthetic is the somehow fundamental to the portal that allows yeah. the t the time loop to complete um so why would the aesthetic have some sort of connection to this? Why would, as they're going, as he's going through the portal at the end, why would he be saying cellar door? Maybe my interpretation is is totally off, but I I got the feeling that there's something about the about aesthetics which make truth based on aesthetics sufficient as truth. In other words. If yeah. you're trying to discover your fate, and I think Cam Campbell, this is what he's saying when he says, follow your bliss, right? And it, it made me look up a Campbell, a Campbell, small Campbell quote. He says, he says, your sacred space is where you can find yourself over and over again. We must be willing to let go of the life we planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. But I think that following it, following your bliss, which is Campbell's version of am amor fati, is finding the thing that feels right to you. So you sort of lock into a channel and you feel like this is, this is correct, not for a logical reason, but purely for aesthetics. It, f it seems right to my sensibilities. It's a beautiful choice. And we tend not to sort of focus on making beautiful choices or following things because they they feel beautiful. But actually, that might be a perfectly valid way to to live. And maybe that I, I was thinking maybe the cellar door is a nod toward 
everything that he's doing, burning down the house, is following his bliss and doing what <laughs> what feels most authentic, as opposed to rejecting it and denying it, causing repression, which then leads to pain, much more pain down the road. So he's doing ridiculous things, living authentically, as opposed to what normal people would do, which would be to say, no, no, I don't have this feeling. Then you run into the situation where you don't know yourself anymore. So you ha you're not in touch with that, with what your bliss even is. And you're, you're in a sort of, a sort of uh, hell state where you think you're happy and you can't find the source. Yeah, I mean, that seems to tie in really well with uh, with uh, what Nietzsche was all about, sort of the idea of the last the last men or the last men, the ones that accept rules, the status quo, uh, easy existence, comfortable existence, which perfectly personifies the town of Middlesex and specifically Sparkle Motion. I mean, you can see as much even as vapid as Mrs. Pomeroy thinks Sparkle Motion is but when she sees it like the, the girls practicing you can tell how she feels about it by the expression on her face when she's confronted with the experience of watching them dance with the music and the lights and the dancing and whatnot she she gets into it like she's looking around and she d wants to see if anybody else sees it she's kind of dancing along with it sucked so, in by the uh ipods and the uh yeah the trinkets and the gadgets why did i say ipods <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got sucked in by iPod. iPod. Someone gave me an iPod Nano, and I just gave up on my destiny. Yeah, our time. Our time is up, dude. We're done. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and whereas Donnie, he's the one that's accepting the. He's following his bl his bliss, even though a lot of it is dictated by his unconscious, and he does destructive things. Which, you know, that's a bigger discussion. He never regrets it, though. He never he never has cause to regret it. He's following it. It's his unconscious, and it's leading him in the right direction, even though it looks chaotic. Yeah. Yeah, for the time being. And then at the end, you know, he, he sort of chooses the other fork in the road. He foregoes all of those experiences, I think, to save Gretchen's life, because that's what he really cares about. But, um, uh, but he's not one of the last men. He's not lulled into comfort and uncritical thinking he's not that he's an uberman she's an overman whatever and he's also not like a philistine an immediate man like kierkegaard would say so um god what did you ask me <laughs> or what was the well we were we were, i guess we were just talking about i was talking about uh well campbell's idea following yeah. your bliss but based on uh aesthetics and maybe cellar door being oh, a reference yeah. to that as a sort of a valid way of seeing the world as opposed to irrational which is how we would normally teach it yeah so i was that made me think about um the movie arrival but i'll come back to that so aesthetics as dictating destiny this is a it's a great place to bring up how art influences life in the movie so Donnie floods the cellar based on the book that he wrote. He burns down the house uh, based on, I guess, the book as well. That has a connection with the book, the Graham Greens, the destructors that they're reading. And then um, Cellar Door, that comes from another book or just uh, a linguist, which <clears throat> inspires him to go to Roberta Sparrow's house. So we see art, aesthetics, inspiring 
these cataclysmic activities yeah. that Donnie instigates. So just like in um, Arrival, you know, they they go, we talked about that one, they go into this, sort of this womb-like theater to look at this stuff projected on a screen, which is like a movie, right? And that's where they learn a new language. That's where they bring about and instigate the new world, just like Donnie is doing. He goes into these, he's like in the womb of his room reading this book to learn a new language. He goes into the theater and then Frank uh, obviously connects aesthetics, the movie that he's watching with this new world that he's going to bring about by burning down the house. So yeah, this connection between art and new life, I think was to me pretty uh, intentional and apparent in the film. Uh, did you ever read, did you ever read that movie, uh, read that movie, read that book, um, <laughs> Gertel Escher Bach? Did you ever? No, but I have a friend who keeps, uh, keeps recommending it to me. So it's, it's on my radar for sure, but I don't know it. So, well, Douglas Hofstetter has this idea that actually the analogy is not the derivation of the let's say primary thing to explain it but the analogy is primary and the thing that we think is the primary thing is just an explanation of the analogy mm-hmm. meaning that we're analogy creatures we're not built for let's say understanding the universe mathematically we we use analogies then we build the mathematics mm-hmm. to explain it so yeah. hmm. it reminded me of when you if I if I can disclose you you have an experience right now where you're part of something that's sort of in a in a chrysalis that will probably impact culture in a in a pretty profound way in the next 10 years and you're very much in the on the ground level of that and you describe that as weaving the myth that then people will later learn and recite something along those lines where you sure. the myth is being you're, you're you're part of the creation of the myth and i'm realizing that more and more that's true it's not it's 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 that you hear the thing in the story and it and it doesn't guide you but it becomes part of your the algorithms that lead you to make decisions and maybe more so than reason which is the thing that we celebrate as the great discovery of <laughs> the human mind reason is not yeah. reason it's the gut and it's it's the hooks that it happens to have for myth and for analogy and stories and a cellar door and something being beautiful and that when we speak words we create the reality the thing that you're doing and the you know why why did why did why did all crypto crash this week well part of it is for other reasons but also then yeah. people started telling the story that crypto is crashing this week and the story becomes part of the crash and affects mm-hmm. it into the future it's weird but it's almost like the analogies are the primary uh pieces of reality and then everything else sort of is secondary if that makes sense yeah yeah it's uh, uh it's 
it's like if you only get like the reason the mechanics of it all is useful but then if you get hung up on that you miss the sort of lived experience of it and i think human beings are yearn more for the lived experience like the like zarathustra is a poetic more narrative narrativized option or version of a complex system of philosophy and when you read zarathustra it's way you you connect it on a different level with what nietzsche is saying because the way that that the way his complex philosophy is delivered in that book gives you more opportunity to play whereas yes. if you're reading maybe some of his other books it's more instructive it's way more detail oriented which is great which is amazing which is useful it just seems that the other books are more concrete and rigid and and that's that's fine but then zarathustra, zarathustra is a is a flourish just like just like donnie darko is a flourish off of all of these other systematic forms of or at the base like systematic forms of, of viewing the world but they yeah. sort of express them you know they they find expression in a movie in a narrative in something that has uh you know a story arc so yeah it yeah it's i it's changed the way i think about things a lot 10 years ago i would have said that stories are dumb period <laughs> doesn't matter science science baby that's what I would have said, I think. <laughs> and yeah. I, I would have... I, well, if you can I, do both. Right. No, there, you, I'm not... If you can do... Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, if you can do... So it's... it's. Do you think about it or have you thought about it in the sense that those things were given sort of two options along a binary. We're given narrative and then we're given science. We're given religion. We're given physics or whatever. But people respond... Different people respond to either ends of that spectrum. Some people do not give a shit about the mechanics. They just want the narrative and the feeling. And then some people are, are the reverse. But if you can do both, then you can dance in you know, both of those ballrooms, essentially. Well, that that's what is going on in Donnie Darko, too, because he's, he's engaging with a magical rabbit who other people... Other people can't see, but he's going to his science teacher and asking how time travel works to understand it a little better so that he mm -hmm. can blend together this picture that is a better language for understanding the world than just the binary, than just the, the sort of the, this... Uh, it goes back to the thing, the the point I was making earlier about about psychology being boxes, the language of psychology being boxes and tags, and something else slightly larger that blends the two. As you're describing, a kind of dance between science and mythology being this thing that can sustain or encompass, uh, so that you feel nourished by it, rather than checking out which is what he's about to do because he's learned everything he's faust and he's checking out he's losing he's losing the 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 threads because he's realized he oh i i, I know what it all is and it's not that great he's because he's he's faust but once he <laughs> once once a chaotic element comes in and that has an aspect of myth and of 
uh, the unknown and uh, of magic or of some irrational crazy thing and then those two worlds combine into this unique language that allows him to navigate his life and cause things to come out of people's chests then the world makes sense yeah yeah and it's it's like you you give like you uh campbell would say you create a new myth that satisfies what people are yearning for in the environment in the reality that they're experiencing like if i give you if i give you zeus and hera and, and freya and whatnot it's gonna ah, that doesn't work i got you know ipods around me so yeah i gotta IPod give you nanos, a different yeah yeah i gotta i gotta you gotta give people a different narrative a different myth so and it I doesn't have to you... be textbooks it has to be just like okay uh this is a a beautiful expression of the mechanics of how the world works I can go with this. I can plant the crops and harvest the corn at the end of the year and then go to the the Bacchanalia in June, whatever, and be happy. And, <laughs> and I think Nietzsche would say the, the Ubermensch is one who would not need anyone else's myth, but constantly as an act of will create a myth at every moment, a new myth that is fully sustaining which is mm. why he's the Uber. He is the Ubermensch um, because he doesn't need the past. He doesn't need values. He doesn't need morality. All he needs is his will and creation, the will and creativity to at every moment be creating the, the track that you then follow, that you, that you go down. But the track is being created right in front of you. Because you're creating it. Yeah. I'm picturing a train with a sort of track gun in front of it. and it's shooting out track in front of it. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, well, no, it's like the Knights of the Round Table. Instead of going off uh, into, that was the, uh, I think that's, I forget which version of the, the Grail story it is. But um, they say, uh, wouldn't it be a sh now that we've seen the grail and before we sit down to eat, it'd be a shame if we didn't go have an adventure first. And each of them set off into the, into the darkest part of the forest where no, no trail had been cut rather than going somewhere where uh, an adventure had already been had. We're going to go create a new path. So yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Well, uh, no speed round this time, but Maybe we can do it next time. I don't have a I don't have a speed round prepared. Um, but uh, is there anything else we didn't talk about? I've exhausted my any notes that I had. Uh, is there anything else that we didn't cover that you wanted to bring up? And I think we I think we covered a lot, or I think we we uh, ex pretty thoroughly explored it. Yeah, spiral symbol on the jet. Sleep. I wrote that down. There's a spiral ah, yeah. symbol on the jet. Yeah. Yeah, I had that too, but it was we got past it for sure. Um, uh, that's yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much all I had. Anything else? Um. Uh oh, I thought when the teacher, when Mrs. Pomeroy, when she's her last scene, when she's exiting, I thought it was funny how she's carrying out the American flag with her, yeah. symbolic yeah. of everything. <laughs> I think that. Yeah, well, like every every positive ideal that the United States stands for 
is is being kicked out along with the creative teacher that's trying to connect with people and provide them with yeah like new tools and, and your she, one hope you're you're ejecting yeah and and it's funny i think and i think intentional that she has trouble getting the american flag out of the school as though this rigid body of education is trying to keep that flag representing not the united states of america but representing uh individualistic creativity which could be anywhere in the world it's just significant that this rigid structure is still trying to cling on and control that spirit of creativity which she herself embodies as well it's just funny that she's having trouble getting it out of there so yeah i wondered if that was intentional or or sort of one of those happy accidents during production where she tripped and it's a good take because it looks pretty authentic and then they they used it. I was wondering about that, but that's a that, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting that that what when you there's a sh- you have a shining light, you have a chance for redemption, and that's the first thing that you reject. <laughs> get that. Yeah. Get my redemption out of my sight. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think we covered a lot. So Matt, we'll have to do another one of these soon. I hope. Um, this is another Jake Gyllenhaal movie, by the way. Right. Right. The other one we did was Enemy. So those yeah. still watching, check out our other stuff. We've done conversations on quite a few movies. Uh, we did Annihilation. We did Enemy. We did Joker. We've done Her. Quite a few things. So check out check out the other episodes. If you want to support the podcast... If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. Maybe hit the like button. That would be great. If you're listening elsewhere, if there's a like button or a follow button or a five-star review somewhere, do that. And if you really want to support us, you can do so on our Patreon. So thanks a lot. And uh, Matt, as always, great, great talking with you. Yeah, man. It's been a while. It's good good to be back doing this with you.